Hello and welcome to the TechMap podcast. My name's Andy Barjuri. In today's show, I'm chatting to Brad Lazarus of the Goliath Sorting Academy, all about how to grow and market a training business. It's quite a wide-ranging conversation. We cover everything from content marketing to sales funnels. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, you should enjoy the show. So, Brad, hello. How are you? Good, thanks, Andy. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, I'm excited for our chat. We always have good chats, yes. so this should be good. Yeah, I'm really pleased that you've decided to join the show. We had a great conversation last week or the week before just to, I guess, uh, chat through what we wanted to talk about. And, it, and, and there were so many interesting topics that we chatted about. I don't think we'll get it all into one episode, so we might have to schedule a couple. But why don't we, uh, why don't we kick off? by um, why don't you tell us who you are and what it is that you're up to okay so i'm brad lazarus my uh background is actually i won't go through the whole long thing i'll try and keep it short my background is in the music business actually so i started out life at AM records back in the kind of uh, late 90s uh horribly enough um and um, essentially moved up, was a plugger, was a promotions person. So I used to be that middleman in between the artist and the record company, if you like, and the TV or the radio media. Uh, so negotiating, getting people on top of the pops and on the Radio Amazing. 1 playlist and all that kind of stuff. So um, that was a great, it was kind of like the tail. It was just before Napster ruined everything. So you'd kind of have like a top 20 record and everybody would pile up to the boardroom for champagne. It was like, hang on a minute, we've only hit number 18. Why is everyone celebrating? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was a little bit like that. Anyway, so that one thing led to another there. And I ended up setting up my own management business. Um, and I signed a couple of acts to major labels, to oh, Universal. Well yeah. And at the time, it was a company called Telstar, which wasn't a, a major. It was one of the largest independents in the country at that time. Um, I eventually shifted that business model towards managing professional cover bands, essentially function bands, um, and recognized quite early on that they didn't need a manager. They needed a marketer because yes. our market was um, corporate and private event clients that were going to pay a premium. So we were putting acts out there, anything between 2000 and 5000 pounds per performance. Um, and that's really where I started getting my marketing chops going. So I was doing ad, I was doing AdWords in around about 2004, 2005, um, and really just kind of picked up, you know, was funnel building. I didn't know it was funnel building at the time, but it was funnel building. It was it was getting paid for traffic and then sending getting them to make an inquiry sending them down an email sequence that you'd pre-prepared because you knew what the customer was all about etc uh and then getting them to 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 make a booking at the end of it so that's really where i kind of got my my marketing chops really um so kind of early on in the world of uh, funnels i suppose then but i guess also so. really interestingly you know, we're looking a lot at um, digital transformation on this podcast and of course the music industry was one of the very first to be really disrupted by advances in digital tech wasn't it yes I, I remember the day when the whole Napster thing kicked off and I was in AM records and you know people just didn't know what had hit them they were not that the music people in the music business they're not I think people think that they're quite um visionary 
but they're quite visionary in a very narrow space of music. But when it comes to business and adapting a business model and shifting and changing and, you know, with the times, with the market, the music business has traditionally been terrible at doing that, really. Uh, it's better now, but back in the day, it was really bad. So um, it's, it's kind of almost really evolved, hasn't it? The music business away from the idea of selling lots of records makes you lots of money to, to as I understand it anyway. And I hope you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, that the live music industry is where the money's at these days. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the, if you, th if you look at that music business model from the reason it, it, it what the, what the, what the record companies used to do was pour budget, pour capital into building the brand of the artist. And they would only take one revenue stream from it, which was the recorded music. And the artist would then have this incredible brand that they hadn't paid to invest in but they would go off and perform live and receive, you know, hundreds of thousands of revenue. I think the dog's back with the wife. Can you hear my dog? I'm sorry about that. He's, <laughs> he's waiting for my wife to arrive home. He's, he's just excited. heard a car. More yeah, excited he, than you. Yeah. He's a little puppy and he just loves to be heard. So if you hear him a few times, I'm sorry and apologies to the listeners because no. I'm not going to, not going to edit this out it's, i think better if we just have a good chat and hopefully he'll uh yeah yeah no problem yeah so it's um so yeah so that they, they've never been particularly good at shifting and changing their models really so but now it's a lot better uh but it took so long if you think about how the music business mm. adapted mm. to technology compared to other industries it was very slow so so how did you then pivot as it were because you've got your marketing chops as you've called it and you're learning about funnels and using digital tools like adwords to build funnels and, and customers how did you then move from that into what you're doing now because i don't know you from the music business i know you from the world of property, property and you and i yeah. were both we were both invited to speak on a on a marketing panel at a property meetup in london must, must be a couple of months ago now. Um, so that's where I really came across you. So so how, how did you get from music into property? Um, I essentially made the decision about four years or so ago that I was going to pivot away from the music business. Um, I wasn't happy with where it was going to take me and my career over the next 10, 15, 20 years. And I almost felt like I'd I'd kind of grown out of that business a little bit. Um, yeah. I was I was dabbling in property throughout that whole time, um, whether that be from development or buy to let. Um, so I I I'd, I'd built up quite a passion for property, and I knew yeah. that I could add a lot of value. Well, it occurred to me quite early on that every property deal starts with a lead, and what I was really good at was generating leads. So if okay. I could go into property and bring my lead generation skill set into property and work in partnership with somebody that understood the value of lead generation in with regard to property deals, then I knew I could I could I could pivot and and make property a full time um, uh, kind of career if you like for me. Got you. Um, okay, and that's essentially what happened. Yeah. So that's where the birth of Goliath came about. So Goliath yeah. is your property training company, isn't it? That's right. So we, yeah, well, I now run Goliath Sourcing Academy um, with um, my business partner called Mark Dunsmore, who's been in property 15 or so years. So, um, so actually, it was quite interesting how that all came about because um, 
I was looking to get into deal sourcing. So deal sourcing is um, a, uh, a a kind of a path in property that that almost kind of newbies get into, but everybody needs to source deals. But it's it's deal sourcing and packaging. So you go out yes. and you find the deals, you package yes. them up, and then you sell them on to another investor who then goes and implements the strategy. Um, so I was looking to really get into that. That was the the because that's where I felt as though I could really lend my lead generation skills to another partner that was a bit more experienced, if you like, further down the the funnel. Yes, and I, and that's when I noticed that Mark Dunsmore was was doing. Uh, Mark's my partner. Mark was doing some Facebook ads, and okay. um, I thought, oh, this is interesting. A property person using digital marketing you, you don't often see that um so it's not as prevalent pioneering in that space at the time was it was he paving the way for others to follow because now if you look at um uh, property companies you see a lot of their their marketing on digital channels they're prolific at least some of the training companies and property companies are but at the time perhaps he was a bit of a, a trendsetter um, I, th- I think, yeah, I think he was he was he was experimenting quite early on in the space of deal sourcing and packaging. There weren't that many. There's a lot of property companies out there that will use digital, but when it came to deal sourcing and packaging as a kind of a strategy, if you like, yeah. um, a property strategy, there weren't many people using digital uh, techniques to generate property deal leads people were still doing the more traditional stuff like going to an estate agent or just kind of knocking on doors or doing that kind or of stuff mass which mail is outs, things like that yeah so which mail. is quite yeah, kind okay. of manual and then you know us in the digital space would look at it and we'd kind of gasp with the amount of manual work that's being being <laughs> done you yes. know yes so um, it was, and then Mark, Mark and I started having a, a good conversation around, you know, how we could potentially work in a joint venture partnership together, how I could be the lead generator, yeah. and then he could be the deal closer. And one thing, that relationship really developed on, really, we did a few deals, and eventually we made a decision that we were going to go 50-50 partners. Um, and then Mark decided that he wanted to set up a training business, a property deal sourcing training business, so yeah. teaching people how to find deals, which was is now Goliath Sourcing Academy. And our relationship had developed so well that we made a decision we were going to go 50-50 partners, really. And it was going to be an entirely online business, entirely virtual. We were going to do everything that, you know, the information marketing model, if you like. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's was... underpinned a lot of recent marketing is that information or content-based marketing, I suppose, is the, the more often used term these days, is, is using that information to uh, online to attract eyeballs and to bring people into your funnel uh, and to sell a product. Absolutely. Well, it is so, I mean, particularly if you're, you know, I, your audience is, is, is very savvy about these things, but if there's no footfall, how else are you going to show, how else are you going to put your, your message out there? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Um, so, um, you know, as far as I was concerned, we were starting from nothing. We had no audience. Mark had a good reputation, but the reputation will only go you so far and you'll only sell so much within that sphere of small sphere of influence that that reputation has. And then you've got to grow it, you know? Um, so that's what we set about doing really. 
So tell me a bit about then how you've been growing and what your strategy is for going growing in the future. Because we had a good chat around kind of organic growth and acquisitions last week, but just um, just go over that a little bit. So what have you been doing and, and what kind of what's the next steps? What's the plan to keep you growing? Yeah, well, I think the, the thing that really established us is um, the podcast. We made a decision that in because remember, I, I wasn't known in property at all. So nobody had a clue who I was and I wasn't really going into that partnership in any way being the front of that business mm, okay. or being a personality in that business. It was really going to be Mark. But we, we, we realized quite early on that people wanted to know, our audience wanted to know about this digital marketing stuff that I'd been you know, vaguely talking about yeah. uh, and I was getting a good response to it. So we made a decision to set the podcast up. And we put about 20, 25 episodes out, and this was towards the end of 2016. And the business just took off off the back of that podcast. Fantastic. It was, yeah. I mean, it was a real, it's, I mean, I always believed in podcasting because I'd done it previously in another business, but um, I just, it, the, the real kind of power of it um, really came to light off the back of, you know, towards the end of 2016 and into 2017. So, um, and then it just, you know, it kept the business, that business kept growing. We were selling online, we were doing that classic, you know, podcast um, in the podcast, we would offer it, everybody, everyone was doing interviews and we looked at everybody in that podcasting space that was in property education um, and everyone was doing interviews and we thought, well, we need to do something different. So we made a decision that Mark was going to do his segment, which was called Sourcing with Mark. So advanced strategies for deal sourcing. Yeah. And I was going to do a little segment called In the Lab with Brad. So I was kind of positioning myself as this Facebook split testing professor, you know. And, <laughs> I'd like to think I've got it, a white coat on, maybe some safety goggles or something, you know. Exactly. Well, that was that was what people had kind of, that was the whole thinking around positioning, yeah. you know. I'd, I'd learned a lot through positioning my 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 acts in the, and yes. a lot through, you know, just general kind of positioning. Um so we, you know, every, those two segments were quite heavily branded. We did a you did a Q and A session as well, and that and that just really and and each one of those segments had a content upgrade, so they had a download that pe that would drive people to our website, and then we'd build the list off the back of that. Got you. Um, okay, so once they go for the download of the content upgrade, they're then straight in at the top of your funnel, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. And and if they if they hadn't if they'd and what we were finding was people were just binging on the stuff. They were coming <laughs> in and they were listening to and I think that's really kind of in, it used to be you you often hear in the pod, you know, with the the podcasting gurus, if you like, that that you should be producing a podcast very, you know, regularly, like every week or every month, and you should keep it up, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, I don't think that's how people consume a lot of the podcast content. I think we're very people are very much from the Netflix, 
you know, way of consuming content, which is essentially sitting down of an evening and watching seven hours worth of Netflix, you know, and I think that's what people do with podcasts now as well. Do you know what? I I, I agree and disagree with that because I I like podcasts. Obviously, we're recording one, so I like to record them, but I like to listen to them as well. And there are some podcasts that I listen to, like uh, Mitch Joel and Six Pixels of Separation that I listen to. And that comes out, I think it comes out on a Sunday, but I listen to it on a Monday and it comes out Monday. I look forward to listening to that show. But then there are other, I guess, more entertainment, less business focused things. Like I really like um, the WTF podcast by Mark Maron. And and that I'll listen to, I'll jump in and out of episodes of that one and just jump around with it a little bit. But as you say, I'll, it's the Netflix approach. I'll binge it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I think, well, I think a what, bit of what happens... I think what happens with our audience, because so many of our audience are, are, and this is why it's key, obviously, to kind of know your audience intimately, but our audience are so, you know, 95% of them are employed. They're in full-time jobs. So they're, they're on, they're either sales, they're in their car, they're on their commutes, and they need to fill the time with listening to this stuff. Um, And if they're on a five-hour journey, um, and we've got, I mean, what we managed to do with the podcast was create something which was also, as well as being very informative and, and offering huge amounts of value. Um, Mark and I get on very well. We have a lot of banter. There's a good rapport yeah. between the two of us and it becomes very listenable yes. for people. Um, and, and I think that's what people really kind of like. So everything that it just so happened things just all those elements aligned for us there was value there was entertainment what do they call it infotainment infotainment is that yeah very nice a painful phrase that is yeah (laughs) um straight out of the textbook absolutely yeah and it just it just seemed to all kind of line up and 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 i think the great thing about what it's interesting what you were just saying there andy about um what what types of podcasts do does one listen to on a weekly basis or what types of podcasts can you binge listen to and i think if it if a podcast is is focusing on kind of current affairs to a certain extent within its sector within its industry within its niche then i think it's probably lends itself more to a weekly listen mm. but we, what we specifically tried to do was create an evergreen content Love and you. we were always very careful that the the training segments that we were putting out there were evergreen um, got you okay so that, your, your yeah. podcast they, they they stand the test of time basically whether you listen to it today a year's time or three years time there's still value in what you're saying there there's still merit in somebody listening to that and taking away some uh, ideas for how to get their property sourcing business going Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, all the marketing concepts that I talk about, you know, I'd I'd hope in five years time would be just as relevant, you know, as they are, as they were when we put them out, you know, 18 months ago. Well, people still do find them relevant 18 months, two years down the line for some of those earlier podcasts because they still reference them in our Facebook group and when we talk to our, our audience. Yeah, so that's good. So are you still uh, recording those podcasts? It shows my well, ignorance. Or... No, no, it's fine. I, I wasn't expecting you to be listening to it on your commute either, Andy. But this, <laughs> the, uh, the, um, no, we, we, it's difficult, you know. It takes, I mean, for me to put together like a 10-minute, you know, segment of, you know, valuable information, it takes me about three, four hours to prepare yeah. something like that. That doesn't so, surprise me. Yeah, it's quite a drain. I mean, it's a, it's a, 
it's a good few thousand word blog post at the end of the day. It takes a lot of time, as yes. as your listeners will, will know, I'm sure, putting yeah. content out there. Absolutely. Yeah, so. I, th- I think any content that's valuable, that's worth its weight, just does take time to produce that. And and the problem that you see with a lot of content marketers is they're just churning out blog posts and podcasts and stuff that hasn't got any real depth or merit to it. And I think that's why the, the 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 internet, the digital world, is awash with rubbish content and stuff that's not worth oh. your time. Yeah, um, I mean, so it's particularly from those those legacy days. If you remember, you used to spin articles. Remember those? Those are the used to take one article, one blog post, and like used to have this spinning software which would jumble up all the words and create five unique posts you know which was from that one post is bonkers i have it's never like looking done back that. on that now i've never oh, done it's that crazy i'm glad i've never done yeah. that um those are the the earlier days of content marketing yeah, but um, well, content marketing is, has evolved a lot hasn't it but i tell you what rather than goes directly into content marketing tell me if you would a bit about what happens next so someone listens to a podcast they go onto your site they register for some additional content another podcast or audio whatever that information product is then how do you manage how do you uh, lead that person through your sales funnel as it were what does that yeah process, i mean it, yeah i mean essentially we have like a, a way of marketing if you like so really it's about opt-ins at the front so these lead magnets or content upgrades somebody gets onto our list and then we send them maybe a four or five in what we call an indoctrination sequence which introduces them to our world to us what it is that we offer here's the podcast here's why you should listen to it here's we've got 65 five-star reviews on itunes that's why you should listen to it here's a link to you know three of our best performing podcasts which have had the most listens so really just offering them as as much value of our by giving them our leading them towards our best stuff in the first four or five emails and then nurturing them maybe two or three emails a week for the next six to eight weeks um on just through a just keep giving them value really um so there's that side of it um and then every month so we we have a membership model now so our paid product is a monthly membership so um we charge people every single month to access. As long as they're a member, they can access. It's a anything. I think it's about 30, 35 hours of training videos in a members area, plus a support forum, a dedicated support forum. Not on Facebook. We took everything off Facebook, and we oh, that's interesting. We actually have people. Yeah, we actually have people in a dedicated forum, which is searchable, has different threads in it. It's just a much more conducive environment to learning and discussing various different topics and we found it we found facebook um groups uh very uh difficult to to use for a paid product like this particularly when people needed to search for things and that type of thing i had this um um, we had a conversation one i think it was the last show with bernie mitchell around building community and we talked about using facebook as a as a platform for building community And, and it's kind of similar to what you're doing here your your community yes is a paying community but it is still people that are interested in a in the same world the same topic area the same niche on yeah it. absolutely yeah i mean we we've kept we still have a facebook group I mean, our facebook groups you know 
between four and four and five thousand now, uh, and that's a free Facebook group. So we use that for people that aren't in our what we call the insider circle, which is our membership yeah. um, uh, subscription program. Um, they they're they're in the the Facebook group, and we use that Facebook group. It's very much for people, you know, deal people looking to source yeah. property deals. Yeah, yeah. They're all discussing the topic, the niche, obviously. Um, and we also, we don't, we don't sell very much in there, but we do put, you know, various different, you know, offers, if you like, once in a while, uh, within reason inside that Facebook group. Um, but it's very much an extension of the, you know, the no like, and trust, yes. you know, which we're all trying to, to, to garner in our audience I do really like so that no um, model. It, it is really important when you're selling stuff but personally on on burst based on personality sometimes as well to know like and trust somebody is really important but go, going back to that use of facebook groups i guess so that for you is part of your funnel isn't it really because your your product is on a separate platform which is sensible because you can't really control what facebook does with its platform you, you don't know what's going to happen with um, Facebook groups. So if you've got it in your own, well, that is got more exactly as well as the usability and the and the the user experience is far superior on a dedicated community forum. Uh, you know that that dedicated community forum is on our land. Yes, we're not leasing that land. We're freeholders of that land. You know, to bring in the property. I love the way you, you know. brought that back to property. Well done, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, full circle. Yeah, we're done. Right. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, and, and, but you know, Facebook, I mean, anything can happen. I have heard horror stories, but then at the same time, people are building, you know, a hundred thousand, you know, Facebook groups, you know, and it, and it works brilliantly for them. But it, for us, it was it, on balance. We didn't want to be a, a it, it, the Facebook group wasn't right for our paid community. Yes. It just wasn't right. It, it feels like the right um, decision for me as well to take that. To, do you want the control of your community and your environment on your platform? And you can never have that on a third party platform as good as Facebook is for building groups and getting people together. You know, that's that's not your land, is it? As you say, go, go back to the leasehold freehold thing there. Is you need to have you need to own that space really. So so that's obviously what you've done and the and the right thing to do there. But going mm. back to what you were saying a bit earlier about um, the sequence of emails people get to kind of keep them yeah. adding value. Um, what tech do you use? What platform do you use to deliver that? And is is it a good platform to use? Uh, I use Active Campaign. Um, so we used to use back in the day. I used to use Aweber. And then Aweber tried to become um, and tried to morph itself from being an autoresponder platform into a um, email automation platform. Yes, uh, and it struck. I think it struggled to do that. Um, it, it, you know, it was it kind of almost created a bit of a monster in a way. So I think these new platforms like you know Active Campaign. Drip, uh, convert kit. Uh, you know the 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 daddy of them all is Infusionsoft. I wonder whether you're going to say Infusionsoft or Confusionsoft, as I hear it called a few. Confusionsoft, times. yeah. I mean it's, but we. I mean everything that Active Campaign. I mean, ironically enough, as much you go into these things, I don't know whether your listeners would have explored. You've experienced this, Andy, where you go into these software platforms like with all the best intentions of creating these incredible automations and you know everything's going to be running on autopilot and you go all out you know i remember at the end of it was about middle of last year 
we tried to create a um a, an automated webinar funnel and we had about four different products that we were trying to sell and we were going to create the automations where we were going to say if somebody had this tag then then they wouldn't have purchased this and we're going to put this product in front of them we're going to nurture this on me and it just turned into this absolute awful mess and it was so stressful just to try and un, just to try and work out I I, it could, I couldn't even see it all on one screen. The automation was so huge, yeah. and I didn't do it. I got a consultant in to do it, and it was just an absolute mess. And then I just thought, you know what? I just need to unravel this and just stay simple. So did, um, did you test and, it and it didn't work, or you just looked at it and went, "Oh my god, I, this is just too much. Let's just break it down and keep it simple." What, what was the result of all that? Yeah, practice? I think I think the cor- I think the correlation there is 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 the more automation we had, the less personal the whole experience became for the user, for the customer, for the prospect. And, and, and that's not to say automation doesn't work. I think automation works when it's a human interaction you're trying to, that genuinely human interaction that you are trying to automate. Yes. Um, and it, and it's, it's quite a fine dividing. It's quite a balance that one needs to strike there. Um, and we also made the decision that we were going to go for monthly live webinars to sell our subscription, our membership product. Um, and that was a big kind of turning point for us is is ditching all of the um, the heavy automation, ditching the, you know, the automated webinars, the pre-recorded webinars and, and, and all that, you know, using ever webinar and, yeah. you know, all that type of stuff. We just ditched all of that and we put it behind us and we say, you know what, we're going to be present for our audience and we're going to be here and available. And they're going to be able to almost get as close to seeing in the whites of our eyes as they can yeah. over a, a webinar, if you like. Um, and we're going to be present in the face, free Facebook group, and we're going to be present on the live webinars. Um, and that's when things really kind of took off for us at the beginning of this year again um, Isn't that with our membership model. I mean, uh, like you, I've looked at lots of uh, automated campaigns, and I receive a lot of automated campaigns through, through things like Infusionsoft and, and all the others. And quite often, what in reality looks like a good idea, it really just ends up in a deluge of terrible emails being sent out to to your database and you burn through your list quite quickly. So it's great to see that you've kind yeah. of gone back to basics as it were and actually started to focus on building relationships and that personal connection. And I guess Well I think so, because I mean yeah, because I think I think what happens is and you know, we're all as you've just highlighted, I think we're all when you're trying to create these long email sequences that are kind of almost automated they're on automation they're going out every three or four days with some evergreen content and you know with links to a blog post or a a podcast episode or whatever that might be it's for anybody whether i'm doing the writing of those emails or whether you know i've outsourced that whatever to a copywriter it's you know it's hard to keep that um it's hard to keep the interest levels up when you're creating this email sequence so if you're struggling to keep your own interest and engagement levels up can you imagine what the receiver what the you know person reading that email is going to yeah absolutely um and and we were finding as well that you know we were struggling to to get those open rates up you know people become email blind you know particularly now in every industry really particularly in that info marketing 
world where people are trying to sell you the next you know trick or the next magic bullet and people become very skeptical and they get so skeptical they they stop opening their emails mm-hmm. I, I entirely think, and now i think that's absolutely bang on the money and i think that a lot of people will have will be seeing that but the other trend and i don't know if you, you agree with this or not is i mean i have been a heavy email user for ages because i just my career started when email was just the most important thing in the world and clearing your inbox was you know task one of the day but now if i look in my inbox it's all just marketing it's all just Mm. newsletters or alerts and the real value comes through whatsapp chats and messengers groups and, and that sort of stuff and it's really moving away from email for me but i don't know whether you've seen that whether that's you've that's an impact had an impact on how you market towards your Goliath uh, funnel. Yeah, hugely actually. It's a very it's very relevant point for where we are now. I mean, this has been mulling around in my head for for since the beginning of the year really. And I think I'm trying to kind of make sense of it all where we are in this in in the email marketing, you know, evolution so to speak. And I think what's happened is us marketers, particularly email marketers or content marketers, we've always been prepared to share our content on our terms. So what we would do is we would say, look, here's a little tease for this little piece of content, you know, Mr. User, you know, give me your email address yep. um, and then I'll show it to you. Yeah. And and then people have gone, oh, okay, you know, back in the day, yeah, great, you know, I could get this thing for free. I just have to give my email address. That was kind of like the currency, right? It yes. was the email address. Yes. It was the currency of the internet. But what happens is that that seems to have died away. I think people are very skeptical about, they're very guarded about their email address to a, to a certain extent. They're either very guarded. I know I'm very guarded about my email address still. Mm. Um, or, or, or people are, aren't guarded about their email address and their inbox has got like, you know, you see those icons on people's iPhones and you go, how many emails unopened? <laughs> 10,658. Yeah, tell you what mine is. You can't seriously be looking at any emails with 10,658 in your inbox, I've, never mind my marketing email. I've got so, 5,600 unread emails in my inbox. Right, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's... So, so my thinking... God, sorry. Maybe that's exactly what we're talking about here. Is maybe because I've got so much unread emails, just all this junk that I've, you know, I've signed up for an ebook, a lead magnet's caught my attention, and suddenly off the back of that, there's 25 automated email follow ups from Infusionsoft and yada, yada, yada. So, so yeah, maybe that's absolutely yeah, okay. So, so if you think about that, there's the inbox which, which all the emails are going directly into the inbox, whereas me, Mr. Guarded with my email, what do I do? I'll sign up for the newsletter, the marketing newsletter, but I'll create a filter and it will go into a, a marketing newsletter folder in my Gmail, but I'll never look at that folder. <laughs> so either way, email is struggling a bit. And I don't, I, you know, you'll you'll often hear like people, like there's some fantastic like copywriter marketers like Andre Chaperone and those guys that can tell incredible stories on an email and they get these these fantastic open rates and um and and I'm just not one of those I just can't create stuff like that you know it's just it's just not a part of how I do how I'm how I am as a marketer 
So then it kind of leads you to think, well, okay, if we're paying, I don't know, two pound, three pound to get an opt-in or whatever it is, and the 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 there's a lot of friction from the point that somebody gives you their email address to the point that they actually consume the piece of valuable content that you want to put in front of them. So they've got to give their email address. They've then got to get the email. They've got to open the email. They've got to click on the link in the email. They've got to then go into a browser and they've got to read it on your website. So I think the the amount of money that we're spending to generate leads on Facebook ads, for example, compared to the number of eyeballs that we're getting on the content that we're actually trying to put in front of people, I think that that ratio is 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 widening. It's costing more and more to get those eyeballs on the content. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, why don't we just kind of like take out that bit in the middle? Let's. What happens if we didn't focus on email list building? What happens if we actually focused on just putting the content in front of the visitor, the user, the prospect on their terms? So we put the pro- we put the content on Facebook, right on the post, and we make it very, very consumable so that they don't even have to turn the audio on to consume it. Okay. So that's kind of where we're at now. So you're kind of moving away from email marketing and more into Facebook marketing, as it were, with, you know, based on content. So when you're putting content out through Facebook, are you spending a lot of money paying Facebook to make sure that your posts and your content is seen by your target audience? Or are you relying on um, being in the right groups, in the right pages, uh, groups even, and and also um, being followed by the right people? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I'm going to pay for traffic all day long. Um, I just, I, I can't deal with the uncertainty of, and it's not to say that we don't do organic, but you know, everybody knows that spent, you know, any short amount of time trying to do organic um, marketing on Facebook using their Facebook page is getting a fraction, Absolutely. you know, of their page likes as an tiny, organic reach, tiny, right? Tiny reach. So it's exactly. So, so, um, so, so now, or well, essentially the strategy that we're going down now is to say, okay, and we're in the process of kind of doing quite extensive testing on this now is to say, okay, well, we've got this incredible bank of content, this body of content that we've got, uh, that we've created over the last two, three years of the podcast, et cetera. Let's clip out some highlights of that. So for example, we'll clip out, you know, like a minute to three minute segment of a podcast, which is particularly engaging and interesting and gets a, a point across in, in a quite in that time frame. And then we'll create a short video of it. And then we'll transcribe it and we'll put the captions on it. Um, and then we'll create like a animated like video yeah. so it can be engaging visually. And then we'll put that straight onto the actual post. And then we'll put some trade paid traffic behind. So it. all of those are lead magnets, basically, aren't they? Pulling people into well, they they're, they're not necessarily lead magnets as such. So so the idea behind that is that we're cre- we're using that content to create custom audiences. Got you. So we want to create custom audiences of people that have watched those videos for I don't know twenty five or fifth more than more than twenty five or fifty percent of the way through. So they're engaged on some level. 
with and they've been exposed to our content within the context of how engaged somebody can be on Facebook, right? So a 10 second. What did I hear the other day that I was talking to a Facebook rep and she was saying to me that the average, I think the average watch of a Facebook video across the whole platform is six seconds. Crikey. And if you think about the effort that goes into creating a video as well, six seconds of attention is pretty narrow, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's tiny. So, so, so if you can get people to watch your video for 10 seconds or more, you're kind of doing okay within the context of Facebook as a platform. Um, but anyway, so the idea behind that is you're building this custom audience of people that have, have, have engaged with your content, with your video, they've watched your video for 10 seconds or, you know, you got, you, you only know in your industry or your own benchmarks, how, what that level of engagement looks like for you. So what is that KPI, if you like, for you? Um, and then, and then the idea there is that you've got this custom audience. So imagine this custom audience is the equivalent of your email list. Now it's not your email list. It's not your custom audience. That's the only downside of this. Um, but the idea is that you then put offers in front of that custom I audience. see. Okay. So, so, so you're leading them down this funnel, essentially. Really interesting. So custom audiences is a massive part mm. of the Facebook advertising machine, isn't it? And um, it's something that I need to know more about. I've, I've kind of, I've been one of these guys that's been shying away from Facebook for a little while because I didn't believe that using it as a way to disseminate content or to build followers around a page was worthwhile because Facebook kept changing the algorithm so that hardly anybody saw any of the content that you put out there. So I just kind of see Facebook as a place to, you need to have a presence there because people will check you out there. So you've got to be seen to be active, but let's not spend too much time using it as a way to drive traffic. But I have to say my head's completely been turning in the last six months in terms of the power of the Facebook advertising machine around, as you talked about, building custom audiences, um, building lookalike audiences and these sorts of techniques that I think could be so powerful. But of course, the challenge, as you say there with the, mm. the um, custom audiences, you don't own those, do you? That's not your, that's not your property. No, but, and that is a, so, so what ends up happening in this scenario is your list building becomes a, as you know, a, a, a good byproduct of, of this approach. Yes. So if you, if you can build a, you know, but the idea, what, what we really, what we're almost trying to do is get people to subscribe to the podcast and to binge on the mm. podcast. And then that, that's the new type of subscriber, mm. if you like. Does that yeah, make sense? Absolutely. So you're, you, you've got, you know, or, or, you know, we use a lot of uh, Facebook messenger. So we have a messenger, we use a messenger bot. We have a, like a 14 day free mess course, which is delivered on Facebook okay. messenger. That's interesting. Which, which um, bot do you so use for that? I use many chat, many chat. Yeah. Which was, it's great. I mean, people, it, it, it people love it. People, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's as much to do with the content of the course, but it's there. I mean, it's right. You talked just, you mentioned before Andy about the different, the other ways that people communicate. Well, there's yeah, one of absolutely. them is people are communicating on messenger, you know? Um, so, so the idea behind this content thing is actually people, 
when 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 they when they expose to the content, they get curious. Okay, well I've I'm interested. I've watched 35 seconds of this minute and a half long video. Um, I'm interested in more. So they click through to your page. And then when they click through to your page, you need to ensure that you have you know, a, you know somewhere else they can go. Uh, yes, you've got more content on posts on your page, but is there a call yeah, to absolutely. action? Can they go and sign up for the messenger course? You know, can they opt in on the email list? You know, so it, it's just knowing that I think as marketers at me particularly, um, and I know when I speak to other, you know, online marketers, digital marketers, we love to think that people do things in a very linear way because it makes our job easier. <laughs> yes. You know? But the reality of it is, is that they don't, they, they, people are all over the shop really. So we, and, and they come into your world in such, in so many different places and at so many different doorways that you've got to make sure that, that those doorways are nicely, clearly labeled um, and they're easy to to, yeah, to walk into. I mean, I agree with that entirely. I mean, for years as marketeers, we've been using models like Ada, for example, and saying, well, people will start off by becoming aware of who you are, then they get interested and they decide they they like what you do and they take action to buy it. And we assume they go through that linear process. Um, and we can map out those stages of the sales funnel. And that's how we know how to do automated marketing because we know roughly what that path looks like. But as you've said, you know, with the proliferation of digital channels and the amount of different entry and exit points we all have to our companies now, um, it's so much more difficult to model that. And I had this chat with, him, mm, with someone absolutely. the other day, and he was he was talking about the idea that the traditional sales funnel, as we know it, is dead. And what you need to do is to be continually feeding people into a mass of followers, fans, or an audience, as it were, and bit by bit as they... It, increasingly engage with your company then drop out the bottom of the funnel and there's no real simple easy linear way of thinking about that uh, and that kind of feels like yeah. what you've been talking and it's and that's that yeah i mean it's very it's it's very frustrating for us marketers particularly the online marketers that have spent the last few years being able to carefully track you know each step yeah. of the funnel you know with the opt-in rates and the etc cetera, etc cetera. I mean, the amount of people that we see a lot of people come through and become a customer, essentially become a member of our Insider Circle subscription. And I've got no record of where they've come from. <laughs> I don't know where they've come from. You know, I, what I'm desperately wanting to do is go into Active Campaign, put their email and go, oh, right, there you go. I can see the path yes. you've taken yeah, now. And I've got no idea because they've they're not they're not logged in um i mean they might have come through a facebook messenger course but the reality of it is is that a lot of people are avid listeners of our podcasts that don't go anywhere near our email list yes well that i guess we're moving into the territory of attribution modeling here aren't we and that's a that's a whole different uh topic of conversation we could be here for a long time talking about attribution <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I was actually having a chat with a, I had a Google ads, one of those Google ad yeah. reps on the phone this morning. Um, you've got to be careful what you listen to with those because they always seem to tell you to spend a bit more. <laughs> the answer is always oh, really? more. It's always right. more. Come on. 
Yeah. And she was talking, I'd never really, I hadn't done AdWords. AdWords I still have for my entertainment business, for my band business. I still generate leads through AdWords. So and I, I don't really touch those campaigns. And I thought, you know what, I need to, maybe I should just get an ad, an, a rep on the phone. And she talked me through those five attribution models now for AdWords. Well, you know. There's first click, last click, there's linear, there's, you know, it's like, whoa, really? Okay, just tell me which one well, to choose. AdWords is know. such a complex uh, program. A few years ago, I did the, I got certified in how to run um, Google AdWords campaigns. And it, looking at it now, what I learned then to now, is just a different beast. Even the, the user experience, the user interface for AdWords has changed. So unless you're really a specialist yeah. in Google AdWords, I think it's a really tough environment to, to deliver results on. Yeah, but it's amazing. It is amazing. I mean, I still get, it is, I get, I mean, my campaigns have been running since 2007. The last time I optimized them was, this is for the band business, was about four years ago. It's a very much an evergreen product, if you like. The keywords are quite yeah. evergreen, yeah, yeah. but it still keeps rolling in with That's the leads. That's amazing. And they're profitable. Four it's, years. Yeah, it's incredible. You haven't touched it for four yeah. years and it still works. Well, I've kind of looked at it and it, and, and I could have optimized, but but I, it's just not worth the time for the money saving, really. It's just, it just doesn't, you know, I mean, there's probably very few industries where you could get away with that, yeah, to be honest. Abs- but, very few, to be honest. Um, we, we were doing some work recently for yeah. a client who's in the... Um, interior design and build office design and build world and we had to optimize continually to show even um to, to show incremental improvements and it was a really tough competitive world and i think it's all down to how competitive is that space that you're playing in as to how much time you have to spend working on optimizing your account um right we could talk forever i think on on digital but we had a really good chat last week about um, acquisition as a strategy as well, and, and obviously oh, yes. as business owners, we're we're always thinking about how do I grow this business? What's the organic way to get more clients, to get more fee paying guests, or whatever that looks like? But of course, there is the other approach, which is growth through acquisition. And I know that that's something you're thinking about um, with Goliath. Yeah, I mean it's it's very early days yet, and uh, I don't. I, I don't feel I, I don't you know it, it's just thinking at the moment really rather than going down any particular route but essentially what you know the thought process is one of um you know we want to we want to tr- you know as business owners um we don't want to be self-employed we want to be a business owner and it's hard to move from being a self-employed busy person in your business in your small business to being to removing yourself from it very tough so really difficult to do particularly you know i'm in my mid 40s now and i've been doing this stuff you know very successful i've made a very good living over the years you know but but i've never really you know pulled myself out of the pit of doing the day-to-day operational stuff in the way that i would like to have done and I think it's, I think, you know, Mark and I have been having conversations a lot over the last few months about how we would grow. And I think when you're in a niche, so the thinking for us is we're in a niche of a niche. So we're in the property education niche, but we're in the deal sourcing niche. So it's a niche within a niche. So there's only, you know, we, we do see as much as we don't like to limit ourselves, there is a glass ceiling to our growth. Yes, absolutely. And, and, yeah and 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 we have to think that you know we've got to be considering that you know it's a very competitive industry as well and 
our thinking is okay well look we could we you know we will continue to to be great business owners if you like self-employed business owners and we'll grow our team in the way that we've done successfully and we'll keep solving problems for our prospect base and what have you but how are we going to take the next level up how are we going to really take the next level of growth and and our thinking really is about okay well we know how to run a training business on a membership model and we can generate leads and we can convert them into customers and we know how to run this thing operationally well, well, let's look at acquiring another business um, with the potential to add value from what we yes. know. Um, and that that's really where our thinking is at the moment um, around that. So it's, it's, it's just an early stage thoughts at this point, but it's, it's, it's not the thinking that a lot of small business owners in my situation have, I don't think. They are constantly thinking about, well, what's the next marketing tactic or campaign that I can yes, use absolutely. to grow my business? I mean, I think, I think um, when you've built the model to run a, a training business, you know, training in, in property sourcing is one avenue, but there are so many different niches within the training world that you could apply the same model, the same uh, tactics and techniques too that you'll be able to grow with presumably absolutely and you could those skills and, it, and, it, and I think it becomes you know it's very you know going back to this point about you know working in your business on the operational day-to-day -day, you can become quite emotionally tangled up in the whole thing you know and as much as the you know the self-help development you know business small business growth gurus will tell you to untangle yourself it's difficult to do but i think if you go and acquire a business it's a lot easier to stay emotionally detached from the day-to-day -day of it and to be a little bit colder with your decision making yeah that's a good point um, is and that there is a lot of emotion mm. attached to running a small business because it's typically your life's work um, and as you say, to make an investment in another business, it's not your life's work. It's you growing, it's you taking the next step. So perhaps then you can distance yourself a bit from the emotion of the business there and make a bit more of a cold financial decision. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of obviously other risks associated with the fact that if you haven't acquired a business previously, you know, you better learn quickly. <laughs> something tells me. Um, but that's something that we're looking to kind of move into now. You know, we're, we're investing in a, you know, small private equity yeah. fund, which is going to go and look at acquiring small businesses, Perfect. you know, with a view to adding value, cash flowing them and exiting in X number of years. So, you know, that's an investment for us as well as a, a learning how we're going to grow our business type strategy. Well, I think, I, I think as well that what strikes me is at some point there could be a training course on how to buy businesses <laughs> once you've bought a few, apply those learnings, plug yeah. them into the Goliath model, and away you go with a whole new information product. Yeah, absolutely. As long as we're not doing the marketing or the teaching. <laughs> yes. Then somebody else can, you know, that's the that's the key to it, I guess. It's just about removing yourself from that day to day. And I think this information marketing model, which we see everywhere, it while it's very leverageable, you know, and uh, and you can turn over, you know, hundreds of thousands, million, millions, if you like, with quite a small team, um, it's still very reliant on a face. Well, that was yeah, I was going it. to ask you about that because one of the things, and you look at Goliath from a branding point of view, is you have the Goliath, source, Goliath Sourcing Academy brand, but also you have Brad and you have Mark as well. And I think the three of those together is what you think about when you think about Goliath. 
So how will that work if you yeah. remove Mark and Brad from that model? How much strength is there in the Goliath brand and how much have you invested in that brand? It's a good question and it's something that we, you know, we we need to think about more and I think how we see this at the moment is I I I think our brand comes from myself and Mark um in the sense that um how we our our personalities and and the content that we put out via the podcast I think that that forms the kind of the essence of our brand really um so I don't mind doing that that front end marketing uh piece the content piece that's great you know it's the it's the delivery of the the paid content and the operational elements of the business which we need to focus on removing ourselves from um in the next kind of year two years or so um because i think we really enjoy it i enjoy it i enjoy that that front facing stuff to a certain extent that that marketing um and that you know promoting my I'm not, you know, Mark's got much bigger ego. I don't really have an ego at all, to be honest. And I'm quite happy to let him. We always laugh about his ego, but he's, you know, we. It's. I mean, people go, "Where did you get the name Goliath?" And I said, "Well, it's a manifestation of my partner's ego." So it's like, I love it's, that. Uh, so it's. Uh, I hope he laughs at that. He will. But the. Um, it's it's a uh, yeah that that front end piece that that's the fun bit. It's doing this stuff right. This yes. is the fun bit, doing podcasts like this and doing your own podcasts and, you know, and that's real leveraging your personal brand, which then rubs onto yes. your company yeah. brand. So a bit um, of both is the and investing yeah. in the company brand, but also making sure your personal brand is front and center and adding value, I suppose. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and, you know, you can, it depends on the size of business you want to create as well. You know, there's plenty, plenty of people that don't want large businesses and they'll take the money out of the business and they'll go and do other ventures and invest yes. the money. Yeah, you know, that's true. Um, I heard a good quote the other day so, actually about you know, that. It's kind of, um, if you, to be successful or to build wealth, you know, have fun in business, but use the money you make from business to invest in property and the property is where you build your wealth. So business is all about having fun and property is about wealth. Yeah, absolutely. I've just finished listening to uh, the Cashflow Quadrant, actually, uh-huh, Robert okay. Kiyosaki, um, and it's yeah, it's it's a great it's a great read. I mean, it's not nothing you know groundbreaking, but it's kind of always <laughs> good to remind yourself of that the ten thousand foot view of everything. I, I think, right? uh, I, um, and that's essentially what his message is. Yeah, I think it'd be remiss of any property industry person not to have read at least one of uh, mm. Rich Dad Poor Dad's books at some point in their career. Mm. Well, mind you, having said that, with all the changes in property over the last few years, not as easy as it used to be uh, to implement his wealth building strategies, is it? No, um, no, quite possibly not. Yeah. We've been chatting for about, well, must be getting on for an hour. And as much as I'm enjoying it, I think we should probably yes. draw it to a close. But what I would love to, to ask from you before we close out is, you know, based on what we've talked about around um, building funnels, around looking at branding, personal branding and business branding, are there any places, resources, books that you recommend that our listeners should have a look at to kind of expand their thinking in these areas? Um, from the branding perspective, that's interesting. Um, 
I've always, I've never, I've never really kind of consumed any um, courses or books or anything around the personal branding. I've actually just watched other people doing their personal brand, like someone like Russell Brunson's, you know, of ClickFunnels. He's an absolute genius yes. when it comes to personal branding, you know. Yes. Um, so I don't necessarily have one of the books which has had a real lasting impression on me over the last couple of years or so. Um, and it was actually um, one of the reasons why we went into a membership model in our sector was Blue Ocean Strategy. Um, okay. Which, I don't, do you know that, that book? Mentioned... Yeah, I, I haven't read it, but I heard it mentioned um, as, as being something that's really worthwhile reading, quite a seminal text. Yeah, it's a fantastic um it just gives you a different perspective on, you know, traditional thinkers. It's so easy to just stay in that tunneled thought process that, you know, we've, you know, particularly at my age, you know, when you've kind of been doing this for quite a while and you're kind of, um, you know, you, you almost trained yourself to think in a particular way when you read books like Blue Ocean Strategy, which turn things on its head, um, it's just so nice to kind of go, oh, great. There's always another way. Just when you think <laughs> there's not another way, there's you read a book like Blue Ocean Strategy and it reminds you to keep searching for the other way to make a breakthrough. Um, and it's just a, yeah, it's just a great book. I highly recommend it. Fantastic. What a, what a great way to finish as well, because I, I think that there is always another way. And if you're struggling with your business and you're looking for uh, looking for fresh ideas, maybe just picking up that book might be the change that you need. Absolutely. Brad, thanks so much. I really have enjoyed having a chat with you. It's been a really good conversation and uh, I hope that people will uh, review this show and like it on iTunes so that ever others get to enjoy the experience of hearing from Brad uh, and having a chat. Thank you, Andy. No, it's been it's been fun. It's always good to to chat with you and always good to talk about this type of stuff. I do enjoy it. So thank you. I think we should probably put a date in the diary to do it again in about six months' time and just see where we've got to. Yeah, just work out, see, find out who we've acquired. Is that where we're going with that? <laughs> I wish, yeah. We'll see. All right, Brad, thanks so much. Thanks. 